in the book of John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. I'll be reading verses, beginning with verse 19, out of the NIV, New International Version. The word said, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Everybody say, Peace. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Here it is again and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Is anybody glad this morning that by believing we can have life in his name? One week after the resurrection, I want to preach a message to you today that centered around one week after the resurrection and I've just simply titled it today when he walks into the room when he walks into the room if you will one more time pray with me and for me today father thank you for the presence that we've already felt here in the worship today thank you for these precious people that are assembled together here today Lord to worship you Father, I ask now for the next few moments that you would remove every distraction, every hindrance that would prohibit us from hearing what you would speak to us today. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint these lips of clay, that I would deliver your word today. I would not speak with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but it would be your word that would come forth today, and that your word would come forth in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. Lord, anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what it is you're speaking to your people today. And Lord, more than anything, we thank you for what can take place and what does take place when you walk into the room. Let us leave this house differently than we came today, Father, because we've been in your presence and we've been changed by your word. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated today. Thank you, Nicholas. Have you ever had somebody tell you something that was too good to be true? In spite of all the evidence, you just cannot bring yourself to believe it. Even though maybe believing it could totally change and transform your life. Sometimes it's hard to believe someone or something 
even when there is all sorts of evidence, right? Uh, things of, like the, of that nature that I think about are like when I personally was healed. I also think about this past, I've lost track of the week. What night was it, Tammy? Tuesday night. Tuesday night, Donald Thomas wrecked my TV watching evening. They called seriously on a serious note. Angie and I were sitting there. Actually, I was studying for Wednesday night is what I was doing. And I, we got the phone call, and Sierra said, pray. They've taken Dad to the hospital. They think he's having a heart attack. We started to send out a prayer request. Angie and I were praying, and then I got a call from Tammy. Tammy was just frantic. She said, he's coded. He's coded. She was crying. I said, we'll be right there. We took off to the hospital. We were there till about 11 o'clock Tuesday night. But here's all I know. I know that they said he coded. I know that he went completely out. I know they hopped up on top of him in the bed and was doing chest compressions. I know that he came back. I know when we got there, we, and we prayed, uh, gathered around his bed. We prayed and we believed and we asked God to heal completely and restore. And here's what I know. They said the EKG had ST elevations. If you know anything about heart attack, you know what that is. But here's all I know. They took him in for a heart cath, couldn't find anything. Took him back for another EKG, couldn't find anything. Took him in for another CT scan, couldn't find anything. They said, we don't have an explanation. I'm telling you, God is able. I said, God is able. And sometimes we can see something and we see the evidence, but then it's almost too, it's too hard to believe. Because for me, I mean, hey, I'm the preacher. And I said, well, if he didn't have a heart attack, what did happen? They couldn't answer that question either. Sometimes we have all the evidence but things seem too hard to believe. And the greatest news of all time that we've ever heard or been given is that Jesus Christ was crucified and buried, but thank God on the third day he rose again alive and victorious, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And last Sunday we celebrated the resurrection and we took a close look last week. If you didn't get to be here, go back and watch it. The Lord really showed me something about that sacrifice and I shared it with the church last week about the Jewish sacrificial system. Go back and watch it. But I believe the most powerful evidence, however, of the resurrection is the change that it brings to the lives of those who accept Jesus. The most powerful evidence is the change that it brings. There's no greater testimony than what Jesus has done in the lives of those who believe. And in this passage this morning, we see the disciples huddled together in a room. It was Resurrection Sunday. And it had been a very eventful day for everybody involved, to say the least. But it was now evening. They were excited because they had heard the news that Jesus had rose from the dead. But yet at the same time, they were afraid. The doors were locked because rumor had it that the Jewish leaders wanted to arrest and possibly even kill anybody who had ever been associated with Jesus. And the disciples were having trouble believing what they had heard about the resurrection. Because you see, they had seen with their own eyes only a few hours earlier that Mary Magdalene and the other women had announced that they had seen Jesus alive. They had watched him be beaten. They had watched him be crucified. But now Mary Magdalene and the other women were saying, he is alive. We have seen him. And that news seemed to be all too unbelievable. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their desires had been crushed. And we know that the disciples were discouraged. They were disappointed. They had been overcome with doubt. But suddenly, without warning, Jesus walks into the room. 
He was not a ghost. You hear this preacher today. He was not a figment of their grieving imagination. Is anybody with me? It was the risen, resurrected, glorified, victorious son of the living God. Standing before them in that room. And I want you to notice something about Jesus. Remember those disciples, they fled just a few hours before. A few days before. As soon as the crucifixion happened, they fled. Jesus had told them it would be that way. He said, uh, the sheep will be scattered. And all of a sudden, he was crucified. Boom, they fled. They ran for their lives. They were scared. But Jesus, I love how good he is. Does anybody love how good he is this morning? I love how good Jesus is. Jesus does not scold them. Jesus does not rebuke them. He does not get angry with them. But the first words out of his mouth show one thing. He accepts them. What did he say? Peace be with you. Can you imagine the relief and the joy that they must have felt? The Bible said they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And in moments, the presence of Jesus transformed those disciples from weak-kneed cowards to confident, faith-filled men ready to pursue God's will at any cost. Can I tell you this morning, that is the effect that the power of the resurrected Jesus has on the life of anybody who by faith believes upon him. That's the power of the resurrection. Whenever people are confronted by the reality of Jesus' resurrection, their lives are transformed. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we can be people who experience the power of the resurrection. Are you with me this morning? There's enough church going on around the world where people are driven, they're attracted, and they're coming in by the droves, but there's no power. There's no life change. There's no move of God. Can I tell you today, I'm not interested in a powerless church. Is there anybody with me this morning? I'm not interested in another social gathering. I want to be in the place where Jesus walks into the room and his power fills his house. Jesus said, peace be with you. That was a common greeting. He had spoken many times. He spoke it many times in this passage of Scripture. John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus said, I've told you these things. So that in me you may have peace. Have you ever seen a time in your life when this world could use some peace? I know there's probably people all over the house this morning that need some peace. Certainly the disciples felt unworthy. But Jesus said, that in me you may have peace in this world. You're going to have trouble. But take heart or be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Can I tell you, as long as we're living in this world, we will have trouble. But as long as we have Jesus, we can have peace. And certainly the disciples felt unworthy. But Jesus, the Savior, extends peace. Let that sink in this morning. When he walks into the room, he brings peace. The disciples were afraid. The word fear in verse 19 carries with it the idea of flight. The disciples were so alarmed and frightened that they wanted to just flee and leave. And when you study and you contrast that word with the word peace, which is actually defined as putting together that which is broken, Jesus knows they are afraid and he says to them, shalom, which simply means all good to you. Because when Jesus walks into the room, I don't care what the situation may be. When Jesus walks into the room, it's all good. It's all good. 
Jesus wants to offer peace to you and I. He does not dwell on our past. Is anybody thankful for that this morning? He's well aware. I said he's well aware of the mistakes that we made. He knows how we've scorned him, fallen short, and all of those things when we should have been doing something else. But he doesn't hold that against us. And this peace that Jesus has is, in, I believe, in at least four dimensions. And I'm going to show you that from Scripture. First of all, say peace with God. Romans 5 and 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Why do we need peace with God? If you go on down and read verses 8 and 10, I did not give them that passage of Scripture, but verses 8 and 10 in that same chapter tells us that we were sinners and enemies with God before we trusted in Jesus Christ. But can I tell you this morning, as we declared last week, Jesus on the cross took away all of the sin, and if we're willing to place our full faith and our full trust in Him, God looks at us as though we have never sinned. See, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, or where you came from. Once you get under the blood of Jesus, we're all the same. And He doesn't see our past or our sin. He pursues us in our sin. And it's, when, it's only when I experience peace with God that I can know the peace of God. When life gets difficult. Did you hear me? It's only when I'm at peace with God that I can know the peace of God when life gets difficult. Because there will be times that we need peace in difficult times. There's five times in John's gospel that Jesus promises peace. And they, three are found in chapter 20. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Anybody? Suffering with anxiety? Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. That's easier said than done, isn't it? In John 16, on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus reminds his disciples in verse 33 again. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Why did Jesus give this message? I'll tell you why. So that the disciples would have peace in a world full of trouble. We can overcome the world when we are in him. But you hear this preacher this morning. You've got to be in a relationship with Jesus in order to have his peace. It's not enough. I'm about to say something real unpopular. Seems like the Lord draws people in and I say something that pushes them out. I don't know. Actually, don't push them out. What it is, is this world today doesn't know the difference between conviction and offense. So a lot of people, when they get offended, they'll run off somewhere else where they're not so offended. But let this preacher tell you something again this morning. You have to have a relationship, be in a relationship with Jesus in order to experience the peace of Jesus. It's not enough just to go to church on Sunday and get your patty cake worship on and just be in the presence where his presence is. It's not enough just to have a praying mama or a praying daddy. Somebody help me preach. It's not enough to just have your kids on fire in the youth group, but you're cold, dark, and indifferent with the Lord. It's not enough just to attend church. You need a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. And here it goes. And I don't want to offend anybody. I don't know if they were watching at 845. It was likely, or they may be watching right now. I definitely don't want to offend them. But I have to say this this morning. 
I had somebody, you know, we're living in a time now where in the church, we're all trying to be careful. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We don't ever want to intentionally offend anybody. Listen, that's not the goal. The Word tells us if, we're, if, that's, if that's what we want to do is intentionally offend people, the Bible says we'd be better off tying a millstone around our neck, casting ourselves into the middle of the sea. If any of y'all do that, I ain't going with you. It's not our goal to offend anybody. But I would to God that we would have enough people in pulpits today that would preach the uncompromising, unadulterated Word of God. Because we're filling churches by the masses. But I'm afraid hell's still having to enlarge its borders. And I got a message this week. Somebody I love dearly. Have known them since I was a child. They were a child. She has grown up. She doesn't live here. She's married a woman. And I got a message from her. And I sat and I pondered before I could even respond. Oh God, help me. Because you know what the message was all about? She was not at all concerned with if she would make it to heaven. Her concern was, like she couldn't even sleep at night because she was worried about when she makes it to heaven. See, her mama's gone on, her daddy's gone on, her brother's gone on. When she makes it to heaven, will she know everybody like she did here? And I thought, oh God, help me. She was raised in a church I know about. Oh God, help me. She was taught better when she was younger. What's happened? I'll tell you what's happened. They got offended somewhere else, and they found them a church in Tennessee where they live that they could go to that says it's all right. Abby sent me a TikTok this week. I don't have TikTok. I don't want TikTok. But Abby's got TikTok. She sent me a TikTok this week about a well-known, well-known preacher standing in a pulpit talking about this same issue. And he alluded to say that he didn't know why God had said what he had said. He, uh, he went on to say, he, he didn't know, but if you go back and you look, Jesus said enough stuff about love in other places. And he began to take and twist scripture and talk about love until he had that whole crowd in the palm of his hand believing that what's not okay is okay. Are you with me this morning? Listen, I didn't come, it's not my intention to offend anybody. I didn't come to offend you. I didn't come to hurt you. I didn't come to upset you. There's people I love living in that same lifestyle, but I can't help it that when I open this book, there's only one recipe for marriage given in the Word of God. And it's between one man and one woman for life. That's what the Word of God says. God help the church that we stop letting people think they're on their way to heaven. And that everything's okay. Just so they'll attend somewhere. We need people in pulpits, I'm going to say it again, that are not afraid or ashamed to preach the unadulterated, uncompromised word of the living God. And before you'll, and you hear me, if you're living in those kind of relationships today, before you'll ever know anything about the peace of God, you have to be in a personal relationship 
with him. And when you get in a personal relationship with him, you won't have to worry about what this preacher just said. Because the Holy Spirit will teach you himself. Can I get a witness this morning? Peace in our relationships. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, dividing wall, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The power, this is the power of the cross and the resurrection. What this means is nothing but the cross. Nothing but the blood. Say nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can offer us peace with God. And nothing but the cross You want to know what will remove the barriers in the church world today about what I just talked about? Nothing but the cross will remove the barriers between cultures. Cause peace in households, families, and churches. A lot of churches in turmoil today. But do you want to know what the number one barrier to peace in the home, the church, and the world is? Pride. Pride. Pride is what led to man's first act of disobedience. Adam and Eve thought, hmm, we don't have to do what God said. Who's God to tell us what to do? That's pride. Pride's the greatest cause of conflict within relationships. An admirer once asked Leonard Bernstein, who's a great orchestra conductor, he said, what's the hardest instrument to play? I love this. He replied without hesitation, second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinist." But to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute. Now that's a problem. He Watch this though. He said, but yet if nobody plays second, we don't have harmony. Mm, That's a good word. Without humility, there is no harmony. One writer said, pride is the ground in which all other sins grow. From pride comes selfishness, criticism, gossip, complaining, and conflict. But Jesus came and tore down those walls. You also need peace with your past this morning. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. The word said, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice that it says, No condemnation when you are in Christ. The first promise is for you of peace, but the second promise the Savior offers you today, even if you feel like you don't deserve it, God's peace and forgiveness is extended to us by His grace. But here's the question. Why do we continue to cower in the corner when the Savior wants to embrace us? Why do we try to keep him locked out of our life? The first promise Jesus gives is to lift his disciples up out of the pit of grief with his peace. But the second statement Jesus gives is that they have a purpose. You have a purpose. In verse 21, again Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Because when Jesus walks into the room, he not only gives you peace, but he gives you purpose. God sent Jesus with a mission to accomplish. Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And do you know that mission continues through us, the church? And that's Jesus authorizing his followers to take the gospels to the ends of the earth. Every believer in this room, raise your hand if you're a believer. 
Every believer in this room is a minister of the gospel. No, you may not be a preacher or a pastor, but you are a minister of the gospel. Jesus told us, we can, some of us can quote it, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything, obey everything I have commanded you. Listen, he's not just speaking to the twelve disciples or the apostles in that passage of Scripture. There was other disciples there too. This was a charge to the church. He was placing a mantle of responsibility on the church to carry the gospel. And just as it brought joy to the disciples, it should bring joy to us to think that in spite of our failings, in spite of our faults, the Lord entrusts us with His Word and His work. Jesus does not commission His followers, though, without enabling them with power. Say power. Peace, purpose, and power to fulfill their mission. Tied very closely with this commission are two significant statements that immediately follow. I love this. In John chapter 20, our main text, verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He blew on them. What do you think happened when Jesus said, Receive the Holy Spirit? Some of y'all are like, oh no, here he goes. I'll tell you what I think happened. I think they received the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine the risen, resurrected, glorious Son of God blowing on his disciples and saying, receive the Holy Spirit and nothing happening. I believe at that very moment, their inner man was quickened with resurrection life. Just as God had breathed life into Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, he breathes life into his church. Are you with me this morning? It is the life of God in the church that will make the mission successful. Can I tell you this morning, I'm not interested in a dead church. Some of y'all need to come at 845. Lord, help me. Today was hard. If you're watching and you're here at 845, it was hard. At one point, I never say stuff like this when I'm preaching, but at one point I said, somebody in here needs to wake up and help me. Listen, I'm not interested in a dead church. There's dead church everywhere. Dead church don't change lives. But when a church is on fire with the power of God, hearts are touched, lives are changed, bodies are healed. We need the power of God. John emphasizes the theme of life and truth when he talks about the Holy Spirit. Luke, the author of Acts, emphasizes that theme of power. And here in John 20 and 22, the church receives the life of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. The church is endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you this morning, when Jesus walks into the room, you will receive spiritual life. Can I get a witness? We are born of the Spirit. We can be endued with power on high. Luke deals extensively with that issue. It's not either or, but God wants us to experience both. He wants us, can I tell you this morning, if you're a believer and you've accepted Jesus, that's wonderful. That's the best decision you'll ever make in your life, to accept Jesus. But can I also tell you, and I hope I've got some witnesses in this room this morning that will testify with me, don't stop there. There's more where that came from. I said there's more. Where that came from. It's not either or. God wants you to experience all of him. John chapter 20 and verse 23. If you forgive anybody's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Why is Jesus saying this 
in verse 23. The NIV study Bible explains it this way. God does not forgive, hear this, He does not forgive other people's sins because we do. Nor does He withhold forgiveness from them because we do. Rather, those who proclaim the gospel are in effect forgiving or not forgiving sins, depending on whether the hearers accept or reject Jesus. That happens every week in this church. There's an invitation given. You have the opportunity to either accept or reject Jesus. If you tell people about this forgiveness, when we do that, we're extending forgiveness to them. If they respond, they will be forgiven. Thank God we've been seeing a lot of that. But listen to me. I told you you were a minister. If you're not telling them, you're not extending forgiveness to them. You may be the only person that can minister to them. When Jesus walks into the room, he gives us peace, purpose, power, and he offers forgiveness to everybody who accepts his grace. But there's one final message, and I'm going to close, that Jesus gives his disciples. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas wasn't present when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the evening of the resurrection. We don't know why he wasn't there, but we know all the disciples were radically shaken by Jesus' death. And after Jesus appeared to the others, they went to Thomas and they told him what happened. Now, have you ever been excited about an experience with the Lord, but you told somebody and they rained on your parade? Anybody? Yeah, I have. I'm glad these disciples cared enough about Thomas to want to include him. Thomas' response wasn't encouraging at all. In verse 25, he said to them, watch. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. In the Greek, this is a double negative. The translation actually says, when you translate it to English, I absolutely will not believe it. Some of his response might be accounted for by his personality. See, if you remember, Thomas was an analytical person by nature. He doesn't just go along with people. We saw that in the upper room when Jesus was talking about his departure. And he said, uh, whither I go you know and the way you know. But it was Thomas who wasn't really understanding it. All the disciples wasn't understanding it. But it was Thomas who spoke up and he was uh, forthcoming enough to say or forthright enough to say, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? See, Thomas wasn't just the kind of person to pretend to go along just to be agreeable. But I think mostly what we're seeing in his answer is an expression of emotional pain. Anybody know anybody going through some emotional pain? Maybe you're in this room today and you're going through some emotional pain yourself. But that use in the Greek of a double negative is a strong hint in that direction. But when you talk about the Lord to people who are in pain like Thomas was, listen to me, don't be surprised if some of them snap back with a double negative. Because when people are in pain... Sometimes they don't, they don't know how else to react. See, Thomas had invested his life into following Jesus wholeheartedly. But at this point, he felt like that had only led to heartache and disappointment. Have you ever been so hurt or so disappointed by something that it became hard to believe anything? Thomas wasn't just being cynical or obstinate. He just didn't want to get hurt again. He didn't want to believe something and not see it come to pass. So he was just giving those guys a real honest answer. Is anybody in the room this morning glad that you can sometimes just be, you can all the time, just be honest with Jesus? 
You can just be real with him. I'm so, th- I'm so thankful the Lord is like that. You can just be real with him. I don't like it when preachers preach it. You shouldn't ask God why when somebody dies. Well, if that's the case, what about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? But it didn't stop him from doing a miracle for them, right? You can be real with God. Thomas said, unless I see, put my finger in, my hand in, touch and see, and I will not believe. It was his unbelief that Jesus responded to him. It was exactly one week, I'm about to close, one week after the resurrection, that's where we are today, exactly one week later, the disciples were together again. It's almost precisely the same scenario as the last time, except this time Thomas was with them. And just as before, Jesus appears. The doors were locked. He just comes through the wall. He's standing before them and he says, peace be with you. But I want you to watch how he turns away from all of the others and gives his sole focus and attention to the one who needed him most. When Jesus walks into the room, he'll put his attention on those that need him most, those that want him the most. And he invited Thomas to do exactly what he had said that he had to do in order to believe. Jesus said to him, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out and put your hand in my side. What a display of grace from the Lord. But then the Lord said this, stop doubting and believe. The evidence is more than enough to support your faith. Doesn't the Lord have to say something to us like that at times? Because if we're being honest, there's a little bit of doubt in every single one of us, right? We all doubt. Some of y'all help me, the rest of y'all are lying. We all doubt. We all have disbelief. But can I tell you this morning that the Lord understands our struggles? <laughs> but there comes a moment that we've got to decide to embrace the truth and believe. Stop doubting and believe. I believe somebody here today needs to make a decision like that. Somebody needs to take the Lord at his word and move forward. I love Thomas's response. Regardless of his failings in the past, this was his finest hour. Can you just hear the awe in his voice when he said, My Lord and my God. Hmm. All of a sudden, the doubter became a worshiper. Because when Jesus walks into the room, those that know him recognize him. When he walks into the room, there is no mistake about it. And Thomas was declaring to Jesus to be his Lord and his God. And Jesus was receiving that. But I want to tell you today, that's where we all have to be in our commitment to the Lord. Until he's, listen, he wants to be more than just your Savior. He, he gave his life for more than you to just escape hell. Can I get a witness this morning? He wants to be the Lord of your life. And until he's your Lord and your God, like Thomas just said, you'll never fully understand or know his purpose for your life. Jesus gives Thomas, as they come to the music today, one word of instruction. One word. He said, because you have seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed.
If you'll stand with me all over the room this morning. Or this afternoon, rather. When Jesus walks into the room, he declares peace. That addresses our past. When Jesus walks into the room, he speaks to our discouragement. And he gives us purpose. When Jesus walks into the room, in spite of our failures, if we choose to believe him, and if we desire it, he will enable us with his power. But can I tell you that absolutely none of this is effective until we decide to accept his invitation to lay down our hurts, lay down our grief, lay down our discouragements and our doubt, and just simply believe. I tell you this morning, I don't know what it might be that you have need of today. But can this preacher tell you today that whatever it is, he's able. I said whatever it is, he's able. When I think about him walking into the room, I think about when he walked in to a man named Jairus' house. And his daughter, some of y'all may be praying for your children this morning, was laying dead in the bedroom. And Jesus looks at mom and dad and he says, don't weep. Your daughter's not dead. She's just taking a nap. And when Jesus said that, everybody started laughing at him. Like they do at some of us sometimes when we're having faith, holding on and believing. How many knows what I'm talking about? They all started laughing at him. You know what Jesus did? He put all the doubters and the mourners out. He walked into the bedroom. The Bible said he said, Talitha Kumi. He spoke in tongues. That which is interpreted is, daughter, arise. And when he walked into the room and he said, arise, guess what happened? She got up. The doubters and the unbelievers didn't believe him. But when he walked into the room, he made all the difference. What about the time when he walked into the temple? Peter didn't have the money to pay his taxes. For some of y'all, that's going to hit home tomorrow. Or, if you're like me and you have to pay, it's like, can you file an extension on that? Thank you, Jesus. Pay it in October, right? September if you own a business. Anyway, what about the time he walked into the room when Peter was in the temple? He didn't have enough money to pay his taxes. And instead of worrying about it, Jesus told Peter to go fishing. Think about that. Peter said, I don't need fish. I need money. Jesus said, if you'll just do what I tell you to, here's a word for you. If you'll just do what I tell you to, I'll give you everything you need in your life. So what did Peter do? He got in a boat and he went fishing. First fish he pulled up. He opened the mouth of the fish. Inside the mouth of the fish was a coin. It was just enough for Peter to pay his tax bill. Why? Because Jesus walked into the room. There's a woman from Nain who was a widow. She'd already lost her husband. And we read in the Bible that now she's in a funeral procession with her son who was dead in a casket on their way to the cemetery. Bible said that as she was, they were in the procession walking out of the city. Here we go again. Jesus was walking in to the city. Are you with me? 
It wasn't a room, but it was the city. And when their paths crossed, all Jesus did was walk up and he touched that coffin of the weeping mother's boy and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the Bible said the boy got up out of that coffin. He started talking, leaping, and praising God. You know what I wish? I wish God would walk into our city. I said I wish God would walk into this Tri-County area. What about the woman who for 18 years has been over? The Bible said she couldn't straighten herself up. That'll preach a word to some of y'all this morning that are waiting until you try to get it all right before you give it all to Jesus. You don't have to wait until you can straighten yourself up. But when Jesus walked into the synagogue that day, he just walked in. He said, woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. The Bible said that she stood upright by the power of God. I could go on and on and on all day. Example after example out of this word. I'm going to give you one more. There was the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve long years, she'd walked around sick. She'd spent all her money, and she still couldn't get well. But when Jesus was passing by, she reached through the crowd. And she, the Bible said she touched the hem of his garment. And the Word said when she touched the hem of his garment... He felt virtue leave him. You know why? Because the power went out of his body and it went into hers. And the Bible said that she was healed from that hour completely of her infirmity. Here's what I wish. I wish there was some people in the room today that you're hungry enough that if you got to get down and crawl through the crowd... If you got to crawl through the crowd, you'll do whatever you can do. Because if you can just touch the hem of his garment, if you can just touch the hem of his garment, you know, whoo, I feel the Lord this morning. You know you will be made whole. We used to sing a song in the old church that said, if I could but touch the hem of his garment. I wish people were hungry enough today. Because when Jesus walks into the room, sickness, it's got to go. When Jesus walks into the room, anxiety, it's got to go. When Jesus walks into the room, that spirit of suicide, it's got to go. When Jesus walks into the room, that broken marriage can be restored. That sick body can be healed. That drug addict or alcohol addict can be delivered and set free. When Jesus, whoo, hallelujah, when Jesus walks into the room, every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today and you say, Pastor, should I go out into eternity today? I know that I'm ready to meet Jesus. If I should go out into eternity today, I know that I'm ready to meet Jesus. If that's you, would you just put your hand up right now? I know I'm ready. Thank you. Now with every head, continue to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to talk just one moment before I open this altar to those of you who could not lift your hand for whatever reason. Straighten yourself up. Don't doubt 
Jesus can meet every need in your life this morning. Don't put it off and say, I can't go today. I'll go another time. You may go out into eternity before that other time ever comes. This is your opportunity today. Because can I tell you, Jesus is already in this room. I said Jesus is already in this room. And whatever you have need of today, I can tell you one thing. If you've never accepted Him, there's a room full of people here this morning who raise their hands that can testify to you. Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Don't put Him off today. Do you need peace? Maybe you are ready to go out to to eternity. Maybe you lifted your hand today. Maybe you need peace. Anybody here? And I have a strong sense this morning that there's some people here that need the Lord to renew their sense of purpose in this altar today. Their purpose has been shaken. Can I tell you, He's in the room. He'll renew your purpose today.